Bang. It is Independence Day, July 4th weekend here in America. I want to wish everybody a happy 4th. I hope you guys enjoy yourselves out there with your family and your barbecuing. And uh, this is the time to celebrate our country. There has been plenty of time, especially in the last month or so, to criticize our country, to take to your social medias and and let people know how you feel about where we are and where we're going. And, and there's lots of opinions out there, and those are good. All right. But it's just like in my craft of coaching that I love so much. There has to be an equal share of critique and assessment as well as celebration and appreciation. And so I try to do that with our players. And this is the weekend to do that with our country. It's time to celebrate um, what makes our country great and just enjoy the freedoms that we have to express ourselves. Um, So I hope everyone can kind of, you know, take a deep breath weekend to sort of um, you know, take a step back and just reflect on all things that are, that are good in America. I know I'm looking forward to doing that. So, um, this particular episode goes a lot right along with that. We had an opportunity to talk with the director of coaching education for USA basketball, and, uh, he has been coaching for 30 years in the business. And it was just an absolutely wonderful, insightful conversation. Uh, as a coach, I really appreciated it. He had a lot of insight on, on what I can do to better my craft. Um, and then also for players and parents who maybe want to represent your country one day. I think that should be an ultimate goal for anyone who's lacing up uh, their, their shoes here in the country. If you get an opportunity to play for your country, there's no better team you could possibly be on. And, and that is not a unreachable goal for people. I mean, if you really, really become one of the better players in the country, then they'll call on you. And, um, so I think he gave us some insight as to how that process works. And it was just an overall good conversation. Like I said, very timely, uh, it is independence day. And so I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with coach Don Showalter. All right, guys, I'd like everyone to welcome to the show, the director of coaching education for USA basketball, former 16U and 17U head coach, uh, has an impressive run of 60, 62 wins and zero losses in a row on his way to lots of championships. Uh, just an all around great guy who's doing a lot of great things for the game, for the youth basketball. Uh, Mr. Don Showalter, thanks for coming on tonight, my man. Hey, appreciate it. Uh, always, always appreciate being on podcasts. I know you, you have a really good one, so. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, I want to get into the uh, lots of things about what we can do to help youth basketball, talk about the state of youth basketball, what's the mission of USA basketball. But as we sit here um, and on June 2nd, it just seems appropriate that we start our conversation with acknowledging what's happening in, in this country that we both love very much and with a specific um, emphasis on how uh, our message can help young people sort of make sense of what's happening and, and what we can do to be a positive influence on young people. So what is USA Basketball's uh, sort of officially or even unofficial take on what's happening in America today? Yeah, I mean, you know, thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing that up because obviously it's, it's on the minds of a lot of, a lot of coaches, a lot of players. Uh, you know, in today's age. And, uh, you know, I, I think from USA Basketball, uh, we, we feel we're all a part of the solution. And, uh, you know, since, uh, you know, since USA Basketball, you know, has worked to unite, uh, you know, young men and women uh, of all races uh, in our training camps and in our events, uh, for the, you know, for the common cause of representing our country, uh, in athletic competition, I think it, it's, it's, you know, it encourages, encourages better understanding, uh, and, and builds, builds a trust of, of players from, from all different races. Uh, uh, and, you know, we feel real strongly that, you know, we've, I've coached uh, the national team and, uh, you know, most of most of the national team has has been has been young African Americans, and uh, as as leaders, as we as coaches, as being leaders, have a have a have a big platform to educate uh, young players uh, of all races. Uh, you know, I mean, this goes this goes across the the racial lines of you know the, the whites, the 
African-Americans, the Asian-Americans, whatever. But, you know, we're all we're all uh, need need the educational part to it and, and how we uh, relate and communicate and and pull people together. Uh, US, you know, USA basketball has over the years, you know, we've we've, we've really strived to build a culture uh, with young people where they come in uh, to our facility and, and have training camps and are, are with uh, different players from uh, all over the country from with, with different uh, uh, ideologies, with different, uh, you know, with different skin colors. And, and I think pulling everybody in together and, and you know, the, what happened in, in Minneapolis just, you know, if it doesn't break your heart, uh, something's probably wrong. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you look at those scenes and you're just, uh, my wife and I just cried when we saw it the first time. I mean, it's one of those where it really, really hits home. And, and, and uh, you know, right the next day I called some of my, some of my best friends who are, uh, who I've worked with, who were my assistant coaches uh, with USA Basketball, uh, who are, who are, african-american dads and and you know we talk about uh you know what how they're educating their young their youngsters with with everything that's going on so i I think it's really opened up a line a little bit of uh of of many many people communicating and and it's not just one race it's it goes across the races that are that are really searching for some answers and uh, how we can do things better. And, and I guess my, um, my take on it is I, I hope it's just not a, a moment in time. You know, we get caught up in, in, uh, in the protests and, and many, m- the majority of the protests are very valuable, you know, for, for people to be a part of. Uh, we, were, we, were, we actually were part of one here in Iowa City uh, the other night, but they're very, uh, so you get caught up in the moment and I guess my point is, I hope it's a movement, you know, after that moment, you know, what, what's, you know, down or let's, let's take this moment and make a, make a movement of, of, of really trying to make the best and, and overcome some, some of the uh, racial things that we need to overcome. Uh, it's been going on for a long time and this is just kind of the head of it. And we, we, USA basketball really feel strongly that, uh, you know, we, we can be a part of that. And I think coaches just in general can be a real leader in, in this area as well. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of sport, right? Isn't it coach that, you know, sport is the great galvanizer, right? It brings people together. You know, you're a white man. I'm a black man. We're going to talk here for 35, 45 minutes about the game that we love and we're going to do it in peace and harmony. And, you know, it's unfortunate that there's the other major thing that's happening in our country today is sort of taking us away from that a little bit, right? We haven't had sport in a while. And so yeah. maybe we are uh, thinking about our own points of view without seeing some of these things that we come together on music, you know, the arts and sport. Um, and I think, I think basketball is its own subculture within sport that is probably at the forefront of race relations, right? All the way from the NBA and what they do to the NCAA and what they do to all the way to us at the grassroots level. I just think there's such a beauty, you know, in in race playing, not no role, but a positive role. Absolutely. Uh, in sport, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, just, you know, and, and the majority of, the, of our players uh, are, are young African-Americans, like I said. So, you know, they're, we, you know, one of our goals obviously is to make the best team and, and win gold medals, and all that kind of stuff. But in that goal, you know, we're, we're trying to educate young men how to be good dads, how to be good teammates, how to be good fathers, how to be good husbands. I mean, that's all part of the process for all of us, sure. uh, you know, as well. So yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot can go on with that. And, and coaches have a, huge i mean we we as coaches can really have a lot of influence because kids look up to their coach i yeah. mean we you know you and i played for coaches who you know we we look back and they we we run to the wall for them mm-hmm. and so you know so coaches as a coach i think we have can have a great uh impact 
on uh, on what's going on. And like I said, we we don't want it to be a moment; we want it to be a movement. And yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that phrase. It's the first I've heard it. And I, I like it. I'm going to repeat it. That's 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 exactly what it needs to be. Now, I know if we're not careful, uh, we could easily talk about this subject all night. Right. But, um, you know, this still is jumping through hoops podcast where we do go all over the map and talk about lots of things. But we're uh, essentially, you know, uh, centralized into the idea of trying to help people achieve their basketball goals. And so what we always do, we start off all of our guests with talking about their basketball story. So just with no, uh, you know, prompt, just however you want to take that, like how, how did you go from being a young player to where you are today, the successes that you've had, what can we learn from your basketball story? Yeah. I mean, my story is, is, uh, I don't know if it's unique or not, but I think there's a lot of things that happened along the way that uh, probably guided me in different directions. I, I think I always tell young coaches, you know, young coaches want to want to get to the next spot, want to get to the next coaching thing, or, you know, they're, they're always looking ahead and are trying to connect dots ahead of them. I, I see you can never – that just doesn't work. You look back and you connect dots behind you. Hey, here's where I've been. And uh, – uh, and I think young coaches kind of fail sometimes to really embellish the moment they're in with the players they got. Um, I was a young, I was a young coach. I graduated from a division uh, NAI school, loved played basketball. Um, my dad was not a real big sports guy, but he loved basketball and he, he made sure as a young, as a young eight, nine, 10 year old that I was at all practices, whether it be baseball, basketball, whatever it was. Uh, and I look back on one of the things I tell parents, my dad did such a great job of, he never critiqued me. He was not into critique. And I think sometimes parents get, get off on critiquing their son or daughter, but he never critiqued me. He just said, Hey, did you have fun? Was did you, I mean, are you enjoying it? And, and, and I look back on that at the time I never thought anything of it, but you know, you look back on it and, and what, what a great thing, uh, what a great thing he did. Uh, to help me just love the game. And uh, I grew up with four, four brothers. So we were all, bless my mom, but <laughs> we were, we were, we had a, uh, we had a really good childhood and then graduated from college, started out as a head coach at a small high school here in Iowa and, and moved to a, a little bigger high school. I uh, loved, loved every place I was at. Um, and I tell coaches all the time, you know, if you want to get to a spot where you think, maybe it's higher level or different school or whatever. The first thing you have to do is do a great job where you're at. I don't care if it's a coaching nine-year-olds, if it's coaching a JV coach, whatever, you got to do a good job where you're at, or you're not going to get an opportunity to do something else. So don't be looking ahead, be in the moment, do a great job there. And I look back and I, was, I think I was fortunate not knowing that at the time, but I was fortunate in loving every job I had. Um, uh, then I, I spent really uh, two years at one school, eight years at another. Um, and first school was, they were all in 36. I, I took, took it right out of college. And as a, as a young college uh, player, uh, ex-player, I thought, boy, I'm going to turn this around right away. Well, <laughs> I got humbled really fast. I always say there's two things about basketball, two, two kinds of coaches about basketball. Uh, one that are humble and ones that are going to be humbled because basketball is a game that can, can do that. Uh, and then I moved to another school for eight years. It was really a basketball powerhouse here in Iowa. I uh, went back to my alma mater, actually, uh, which I said I was never going to do, uh, but I did. And I was there for 28 years and had, we had really great success there. And I ended up at a, at a very uh, a large, one of the largest schools in, 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 our, in our state, uh, which uh, you talk about, uh, uh, the African-American uh, population, it was in Iowa City here, is very diverse. And I loved, I, I just loved that school. And uh, uh, after uh, about six years or so, I uh, took the job full-time with USA Basketball. And during that time, I, I coached USA with USA Basketball teams as well as, as my high school team. So that's kind of my, uh, where I came from. And uh, kind of why I got there. I turned down some college jobs because I knew high school for me, high school basketball, and and that age group was 
was really what I loved to do. So, uh, so I'm curious, uh, I'm curious with that kind of longevity and, and that sort of trajectory of success, you know, the game has changed a lot in that time, yep. right? What, what would you point to as the staples that have been with you this entire time versus the things that you've had to adjust as the games evolved? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I think I, I don't I'm not so sure. I, I, you know, I've been asked that question a lot. I think it's a great question. I'm not so sure players have changed that much. Uh, I, I think things around them have changed. You know, the social media mm-hmm. has changed, obviously, a lot. Uh, uh, the the, the uh, level of, of, you know, working out with a trainer. You know, years ago, nobody had a trainer. Now mm-hmm. everybody's got a trainer mm-hmm. uh, type thing. So, you know, social media, having your own trainer – uh, I think I think uh, parents have probably taken a bigger role, sometimes a negative role, in their son or daughter's uh, uh, dreams type thing or playing. And I, I think sometimes that's been a plus, but sometimes that's been a negative. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's uh, – I noticed with our junior national team, uh, you know, there's people that surround those kids a lot. Uh, and uh, – Sometimes the, the, you know the people that surround them aren't aren't the best people to tell them the truth mm-hmm. what they got to do to get better and you know uh, those kind of things. So I'm not sure the actual. I mean, the players are much more skilled than they were 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. I think players are more skilled. They're 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 better players. Uh, than that. I, I think, and I think coaches probably have changed a little bit too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they have to adjust a little bit to the social media and, and the parents. And if they don't adjust to those things, uh, they're, they're going to find a, the road a little more difficult uh, for coaching. And I will say this before we move on with, but I think I see, I see players, uh, uh, you know, it used to be where uh, I think players played too many games. Uh, I just think, you know, they, the, they play three games in a weekend and then not have it, maybe have one practice during the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I look at the international teams and, and they almost do the opposite. Well, they'll, they'll have like six practices for every one game. And so I think uh, I would say five, ten years ago, we were probably playing too many games and not have enough practices. Uh, but I think I'll, I think that's changed a little bit with the advent of the trainers. And now, uh, you know, as we all know, uh, the playgrounds aren't as full as they used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to go to Rucker Park in New York City, West 4th Street, and you could always watch tremendous games there in the pickup. Uh, you know, you go there now, there's, you know, there's not – sometimes there's not even kids playing. So I think a lot of times that was, that was where they really learned how to compete. You know, you and I would go to a playground. We pick up three other guys, and uh, if we if we lost that first game, it it might be five hours before we get back on the court. Yeah, you know, so you yeah. really competed yeah. for to stay on the court. Yeah, and uh, so I think I think I I think a little bit. I don't see that that competitive drive maybe that was there. Um, my first class we had was Bradley Beal and Andre mm-hmm. Drummond, that group in 09 and 10, Quinn Cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys really had that competitive drive. And I look at some of the teams we've had recently, I'm not sure there's that level there of competitive drive. And I think a lot of it's just, that, you know, now they go work out with their personal trainer and it's not as competitive and they don't go out in the playgrounds quite like they did. So uh, kind of a long a long answer to your question, but oh, no. uh, we got time. No, I know. I know. Listen, our listeners are probably exhausted with that particular conversation because I, I mean it. Every guest that I've had on has been, you know, I think, you know, 35 plus. Right. And anyone who's of that age remembers the 90s and the 80s. Where, I mean, when I mean, that's what we did. We changed clothes after school and we went to play. We didn't come home until it was dark. And um and that's where we learned to grind. And I, I tell people all the time, like, my trainer was my television. I would watch Gary Payton play 
And then I would go outside and try to repeat what he did. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but like what, what we gain in competitiveness, these young people today um, make up for it with all this specialized training that they have, yeah. you know. Very skilled. Yeah, very skilled. Yeah, um, so you mentioned something that I want to elaborate on a little bit. And, and I want you to kind of talk directly to me, really, coach, because I'm a high school coach with a very similar story, right? Took over a program that uh, w- w- did not have a tradition of winning. And we are four years into a process where we are turning that around. We're around a 500 team now when we were a two-win team before. So I'm proud of that, right? But, um, and none of my teammates that are listening to this get worried when I say this, but like, there's a part of me that that looks at those college offers and says, you know, one day, maybe that's what I want to do. Talk to me through the pros and cons of that through your eyes when you said, ultimately, you thought that high school was the best situation for you. Yep. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, I talk to, I talk to coaches about this a lot, especially young coaches who, you know, they want to be on a fast track to a division one assistant job, fast track to getting in in the NBA. Um, I would say kind of be, be careful what you wish for um, you know, because at the end of the day, you, you, you got to be happy with where you're at and uh, not that you can't stretch yourself a little bit, get out of your comfort zone. Uh, for me, I think everybody's a little different, but for me, uh, first of all, my family is really important. Uh, I have a wife of 47 years and, you know, she's, she's been an unbelievable coach's wife. Uh, I have two kids. Uh, uh, growing up, they grew up in the gym with me. And so, you know, when I look at uh, my, my, some of my best friends went to the, in the college route and they had to work for no pay volunteer uh, 24 seven, barely got to see their families. Uh, Some got divorced. Uh, Some, some actually then got out of coaching uh, or their head coach got fired and they, they were done or their head coach moved on and then they were done. And so I looked at that and I go, you know, it's not really the life that I really want for my, me and my family. And, uh, so I think that was probably one of the driving forces. Um, and, and also I, I really felt I, I had a, a really good, uh, handle on, on high school players. I had, I felt personally, I had a great relationship with, with that age group. I could communicate with them really well. Uh, I I love to do things with my high school team off the court, you know, go bowling or go to, go to a ball game or, or just do stuff with them. And, and so I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, So I think for me, those were kind of the guiding things for me. I, I, I interviewed for several jobs um, that, I, that I could have had uh, uh, from the college standpoint, uh, but I just decided, you know, at the end of the day, I got to be really uh, happy with where I'm at and really feel good about where I'm at. So, uh, and everybody's got a different, you know, I think you got to, you got to have an answer to what you, what you want to do. And, and there's nothing wrong with the, uh, with the division one, you know, going to a college level, whether it be division one, two or three. Uh, and I, I know a lot of coaches, that's what their, what their dream is and what their goal is. And I say, great, go for it. But understand that along the way, there are some things that pitfalls that can come up because of, of your position. So. Um, yeah, I think I, yeah. I mean, fam, family is as good of an answer for that as there is. And I also think that's as good of a segue as there can be for talking about USA basketball. And that's where I want to spend most of our time is just, you know, what, what drew you to USA basketball and then ultimately just go right into what is the mission of USA basketball? What are they doing? What, what's the, how do they differentiate themselves from other club organizations? Yeah. Uh, well, First of all, USA Basketball is a governing organization for all of basketball. So uh, under our umbrella, we have the NBA, the NCAA, the AAU, uh, NAIA, uh, junior colleges, 
Paralympic uh, uh, teams. So that's all on our umbrella. Not that we, not that we govern them by any means, but that's there are under our umbrella. So having said that, you know the NBA works with us for players for the our senior team for Olympics. Uh, uh, we work real closely with the NBA on on many on many things, marketing and and a lot of stuff like that. So uh, we work with the NCAA with the, the colleges and and uh, you know we don't we don't really help them make uh, rules so to speak, but we certainly have a lot of input on you know the one and done things and uh, you know things that affect things that affect basketball a lot. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, originally USA basketball was a very limited organization, uh, with, with those, with those under the umbrella. And originally our only goal was to put teams together to win gold medals. That's why, uh, USA basketball started. That was, that's, we're the national governing body. So every sport has a national governing body, swimming and soccer and everything. So, uh, that was that was uh, in 1972, four, where the legislature said that every sport needs to be governed by a national governing body. Um, up until that time, the Olympic team was made up. That was governed by the AUs. AU governed got the players and stuff. So, uh, so that that was our original. That was our original uh, philosophy. How we did things, and then. Uh, and then we kind of expanded that, and it, it, stood, it was that way for a long time. And then in 2000, uh, 2009, FIBA, which is a governing body for international basketball, uh, they started the U16 and U17 uh, tournaments. And uh, this is really significant for USA basketball because, first of all, it started us with younger players that we could develop kind of in a pipeline, so to speak, develop our culture, develop how we want, we want things done, our standards and those kind of things. Um, so that was in 2009. Uh, and I was fortunate to be coaching that team. Uh, before that, uh, I coached with the Hoop Summit, which was uh, mm-hmm. uh, Hoop Summit is our best seniors play against international uh, U19 teams. And uh, I coached that in 1998. That was my first uh, first stint with USA basketball. And uh, I, you know, you you look back, and I just I got a, I, I I was very fortunate to work basketball camps. And and for many of us, working basketball camps was how you really learned a game. You know, the five star camp and. Mm-hmm. Um, I run a, I rent, I worked at a snow Valley camp for years out in California. Now I run that here in Iowa, but it's just how, it's just how you meet people and how you learn how to teach the game. And so working camps is very, very important to me as a young coach. And, and I'm digressing just a little bit here, but I think it's important for young mm-hmm. coaches to understand, you know, and, and now it's not such a big deal. Coaches can get whatever they want on YouTube. They get whatever they want on the internet, but you know, they can get all the drills they want. But I always said, you, you miss out on a couple things. You miss out on the networking that I think is really important, especially if you want to progress in the game mm-hmm. and you miss out on how things are taught. I can look at what things, what, what to teach, you know, all the different stuff, but I miss out on watching somebody else teach that skill. Mm-hmm. And for me as a young coach, uh, I think that that was really important working camps and then going to clinics. I mean, now, you know, you don't have to, you know, again, you can get whatever you want on the, on the internet, on the YouTube, but I think you miss out on the networking part to it. So I go, the reason I say that is because uh, I go back and some of the people I met uh, like what I like, like the way I coached. And so I got an opportunity to do other things. Had I, and had I not been working camps, I would never got those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milt Newton at the time, who's the GM now for the Milwaukee Bucks, was working with USA Basketball. And he, we kind of got a relationship. 
uh, going. And he said, Hey, how would you like to coach the Hoop Summit game? I go, Yeah, I'd love to. And uh, so that was the first stint I had with coaching USA basketball. And we, we played against a team uh, that had a, a floppy haired kid from Germany who nobody knew about by the name of Dirk Nowitzki. And that was his coming out party. I mean, nobody knew about him. At that time, you didn't scout international players near as much. And they had um, him and Luis Scola on the same team. Mm -hmm. And that was their coming out party. And then they got drafted and the whole thing. So after that, I I was able to coach the McDonald's game the next year. Uh, Worked, uh, was on some committees with USA Basketball. Um, And then 2009, they asked me to coach that young team. 16 year olds. Uh, at the same time, uh, if you remember right, USA basketball been going kind of through a real funk there. In 2004, we got the bronze medal mm-hmm. uh, in the Olympics with a, with with a pretty good NBA team. Uh, 2006, we finished sixth in the World Cup in Indianapolis with with a team of NBA guys who really did not just their heart wasn't into playing. Yeah for USA basketball. And so we had to change the whole culture of what was going on. Of course, then coach K came on in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and Jerry Colangelo, right? Yeah. Jerry Colangelo mm-hmm. really worked getting the players who wanted to play, had a lot of pride in our country. And, and that's kind of when the redeem team started LeBron, mm-hmm. and Kobe. And, and then in 2009, we had our young players start. So, um, and I coached them through 2018, uh, and then were you, were you were you with the redeem team coach? I was. Yep. That's how I I, I never. I mean, I wasn't on the coaching staff. But I was at all practices sure. and team meetings and and, and just uh, kind of see uh, how Coach K put a team together because we were going to do the same thing with our mm-hmm. U sixteen teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Coach Pop this past summer uh, took a really. Uh, I mean, obviously, his he didn't have the players that he needed to, to compete real at a high level with the World Cup, but uh, we were good enough to qualify for the Olympics. So, um, and and I would say that in 2009, when we first started, uh, you know, Bradley Beal, Andre Drummond, Quinn Cook, those guys were really a big part of what we were doing. Um, and, and then we all kind of played the same way. Billy Donovan at the time coached our U18s and 19s. Uh, from he was in Florida and had great success there. So uh, I had coached the U16s uh, one year as a qualification tournament. So we qualify for the next year's World Cup, World Championship. So 16 is just North and South America qualifies for a World Championship the next year. Mm-hmm. And then 18 is a, is a uh, uh, qualification tournament for 19. So Billy Donovan coached that 1819, Coach K, and then myself. And we all did things kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. We had the same standards. We pressed. We, we ran their offense pretty much the same. So there was some continuity developing within USA basketball. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's so important for, uh, to, to establish, you know, just uh, how we're going to do things. And, and I think that's something that was really beneficial to our teams. Thank you for listening to the show. Quick halftime break to let you guys know that we appreciate you being here. Don't forget to hit that subscription button so you can get notifications for future episodes. Share this episode with anyone that you think it would be helpful for. And lastly, don't forget to to review us. We want to get better as well. What can we do to improve the show? Uh, Do you want to come on the show? Do you have any ideas for uh, future episodes that we can do? We want to hear from you guys. So reach out to us on our Instagram at jthoopspod or send us an email at jthoopspod at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you guys soon. Until then, enjoy the rest of the show. Would you say that the um, making of the team's process was also similar to a trickle down from when Colangelo made that change from having the Iversons of the world, the most talented group he could get to, you know, my cousin and uh, uh, Michael Red and, you know, like getting yep. the, the, the people who who fit. Did you guys do the same thing at 16, 17 or was it more like, hey, well, these are younger players. Let's get as much talent as we can possibly get. 
That's a great question because we really took a lesson from from what happened in in '04 and '06. We 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 said we want we want good players, but they have to be a fit for USA basketball. In other words, you know, we we want guys who are gonna who are gonna really buy into what we what we need: pressure defense and fast break offense uh, and up, up tempo the game. So, uh, and, and not only the, from the skill standpoint, but we need to have players who are going to represent USA basketball, represent our country in a way that's very significant. You know, we, body language is big, is huge for us. Uh, effort, coachability, attitude, you know, those things all, all work in. So, you know, we may take a player that's not quite as skilled, uh, but has a much better attitude uh, toward toward the game than then maybe a, a, a maybe a little better player who doesn't. So uh, and, and also take keep in mind that all these players are the best players on their high school team, mm-hmm. on their AU team. And now they come to us and they're in a training camp and they might be the twelfth player on a twelve man roster. Mm-hmm. You know, how can they how do they handle that? You know, they've mm-hmm. never, you know, they've never been none of them ever came off the bench hardly, let alone being twelfth man. So uh, a great example, uh, Colin Sexton, uh, who's a, who's a uh, Cleveland Cavalier now. He was a six-man force. Uh, came off the bench, he and he just said, "Coach, I'll do whatever we need to do to win a gold medal." And uh, he ended up being M- most valuable player as a six-man uh, in our at our World World Cup, and and uh, Jason Tatum was was the same example. Uh, Jason, you know, we we just said. We need more firepower from our guys coming off the bench. So, you know, minute-wise, he played as many minutes or more than if he'd have started, but uh, that certainly helped him and our team out. Uh, Jalen Green, who just, uh, you know, is probably the best high school player in the country this past year, mm-hmm. uh, was was a two-time gold medals for us, but he came off the bench a, a, in the World Cup as well. And he's going to be playing the G League this, this next year. So, you know, those guys – we have to put a team together, not just a group of all-stars. It's not like the McDonald's game or the Jordan classic where, you know, you just get 12 of the best, 24 of the best players and, and let them play. Uh, we want guys who, who want to be coached, who want to get better, who, who have a real desire uh, to play for USA basketball. How and deep is that? Fi- yeah. How deep is that filter down coach? Like, are you talking about, you put, you know, try, you know, multiple tryouts of 50, 75, hundred kids in each tryout, or is it more like invite only? We kind of know where we want to go. What's that trickle down? like? Yeah. Great question. Again, we, we actually, between myself and, and uh, another, uh, another guy that works for USA basketball, uh, Samson Coyote, we, we both, we see everybody that we invite. So if you if you would tell me hey, there's this there's this great player that you really got to see, we we would either see his high school team play at a at a tournament or uh, see his AAU team play in the spring. So we don't invite anybody we don't actually physically see. We you know we get, I mean I I, I could watch film every day for for years and, and watch kids that you know the, the coaches give us. And that's fine. We do that too. But uh, in order to really get a sense of what kind of player they are, we have to go see them. One of us has to go see them in person and, and maybe several times before we think that, you know, what this, this kid could be invited. And we, and we invite about, we have four training camps a year, uh, one in April around the final four, um, uh, one in June, usually June, and then but that's that's a training camp to make a team. So they'll either be a U16 or U17 team. <clears throat> we'll invite about uh, 20 to 30 kids per grade or per age group for our normal training camps, and about 30 30 to 35 for our sp- specific U16 or U17 training camp. We'll have one. Uh, the end of July and we'll have one in October. So we'll get to see kids and that's kind of fluid as far as who we invite. You know, we might invite more kids in October that are the younger ones uh, for the next summer, or we might, that's a good one for our hoop summit team. We might invite 
uh, more seniors in high school for that because we want to see them play for our Hoop Summit. So uh, we get a chance to see them a lot uh, in our setting four times. Uh, plus, you know, we, we want to see them on their high school team or their AU team as well. Uh, how much connection between you guys and the girls' side? You guys do run that completely different? Is there some um, uh, collaboration there? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Uh, we do have some collaboration. There's a little bit difference in the, in the women's side. Uh, I mean, the tournaments are all the same. The events are all the same. They just run theirs a little bit different uh, due to the scouting services, for one, because there, we have we, – we probably can – we probably have a better handle on – the really good players in our country just do the scouting services and division one colleges who they're recruiting where on the women's side, they, they're probably not, especially young players, 16 year olds. Uh, it's hard to get a handle on who really the best players are. So they, <coughs> excuse me, they have an open, uh, an open registration. So they'll have maybe uh, 150 kids at their, U16 training camp for a couple days uh, and uh, all, they, they may invite 30 and then the rest are, are, they can register. So that's a little bit different from that, but everything else is exactly the same as far as uh, you know, competition wise and travel wise. So this next question may be a little long winded coach, because I want to help out some people specifically that I'm thinking of, but I also want to at the same time segue into hearing your thoughts on the state of youth basketball in our country as a whole. Right. But so my preface is this. So, you know, if you've got if you're a dad or mom and you've got a, you know, 11 year old, 12 year old, 13 year old who's showing a lot of promise for this game. They're, they're, they're quick and they're athletic and they can shoot and they love the game and they're, you know, they're playing up two levels and all of that stuff, right? Yep. You're starting to think about, okay, what is the strategy that I need to take to get him noticed? How does he get an invite to not only like a USA camp, but other elite camps and getting D1 looks? You're starting to think about that right now. When, when, when people come to me about that, I tell them this, and I want you to please feel comfortable correcting me if I'm wrong. I say, continue focusing on the game. If they can play, we'll find them. There's in, in 2020, there is no undiscovered talent going around in USA basketball. So would you agree with that? Or would you say, no, Rick, there are some strategic things that parents need to do to get their kids Yes, ready to play, but also um, visually see. Yeah, well, you 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 touch a lot of points <laughs> uh, that that we you know that we that we really got to discuss with with uh, parents. We have, we you know we have some we have some sometimes some tough discussions with parents on this too. We basically, I think, uh, as a parent, you know. You, the kid, your your son or daughter just starts out in the game, seven, eight, nine year olds, and it's more of a it's more of a community type of thing, you know, where you get together with all right, seven or eight kids in your own little community, and hey, you 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 work on some skills, you might play some in a three on three league or, or five, a little five on five league, whatever, and then you you decide, you know, what my son or daughter really loves the game. Now they're starting to get interested. And so now they want a little more than just this little community type of atmosphere. So now I think it's, it's imperative that uh, parents come in and say, uh, what, what are, are we looking for a high, really highly competitive type of situation? Or do we, are we looking for a, 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 a situation, a club team who still really believes in, you know, the, the, the developing skills, playing in some local tournaments, not so much on a national scale yet. So I think, you know, 10, 11, I think that's a good spot for them. I think, I think sometimes we rush kids into saying that, you know, let's play a national schedule. Uh, I, I personally, I don't, I think that hurts the players a lot. Uh, I think they still need to be a part of that local. All right, I want to develop the, uh, develop your skills, and he might be he might be or she might be the best player on that team, which is okay. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And then as they, and then maybe as they graduate into 12 and 13, then it can be more of a national, regional type of thing. And, and uh, you're exactly right. I mean, if, if a player is good, they're, they're going to be found. I mean, just uh, how many players we've, you know, somebody, they'll give us their name or the scouting report. I mean, there's so many evaluation personnel these days, I would call it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's scouting services or coaches, people like yourself or, or me or, or coaches that, that evaluate kids. And so they're going to get evaluated. And sometimes I think the pushing the kids to, to play at, at a level that they're not ready for is frustrating and discouraging for that player. Mm-hmm. So would you, my, my point is, would you, as a parent, do you want your son or daughter, do you want them to play, if they're 11-year-olds, would you want them to play on a 12- or 13-year-old team and maybe play half the game or less than half the game? Or would you like to have them play on an 11-year-old team, play a lot of minutes, and become you know better skilled that way? So mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to make up your mind. And then if you say, no, I'd, I'd like to have them play you know, with a little better competition, but then you better be ready for – they may not play as much. They may not develop quite as much because even though they're, they're playing against better competition – they're really not if they're sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think a lot of times we get kind of misplaced. We misplace the kids, some in the fact that we try and push them too quickly. And there's got to be a progression there, mm-hmm. you know, in what they're doing. And we're, we're really big on progress, teaching progressively, teaching the skills progressively, but also teaching that player uh, progressively as they continue to grow as well. Um, and then, you know, of course, once they reach high school, you know, they're, um, you know, patience is a big key. I think be patient with what your son or daughter, or even what the player is doing, be patient with what you're doing and, and continue to be focus on the moment, focus on the skill development, focus on some competition and then let everything else take care of itself. Yeah. You know, yeah. And we're only talking to that, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but the small percentage of the kids who, I mean, love this game and are committed to it. And you don't have to, you know, say, you know, get those extra shots and get that extra work and right. get into the weight room. The, the kids who have passed that gauntlet, once you get into that echelon, now it's just a matter of being the best player you can be. And then someone will find you. You'll find a home at, at the D1 level, the D2 level. No you know, question. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so so let's get into the state of USA basketball as it compares to the world. From my point of view, I have seen, I've been coaching now for about 15 years, and what I've seen is a shift where um, initially the international game was just uh, soaking in everything that the NBA was doing or everything that America was doing. And American coaches were going over there to teach, to teach, to teach. And then what seems to have happened is the international game has started to influence our game, right? The open space and the the spreading the floor and the the dominant pick and roll off the fast break, Um, you know, and then they've got the shot clock. They've got club basketball happening at a much younger age. And I feel like in a lot of ways we're playing catch up. That's my point of view, coach. What do you think about where we are? Yeah. I, you know, there's some points you made. I agree with you. Um, you know, see, and, and the more I, having been involved with the international game uh, for since 2009 for sure, and, and I watch a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of international basketball. <clears throat> Obviously, we have more better players. I mean, we have, we just have more better players. Yep. You know, if, and I would say if, if we're playing, let's say we take our, our U17 team which we want a gold medal. We beat France last year or in 2018. We beat them by about 40 in the gold medal game. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just destroyed them. But you would take our, you know, Jalen Green and, and those guys that were part of that team. You would take five, our five player, best players and play France 
Spain, Argentina, take their five, and you couldn't substitute, the game would be pretty close. Mm-hmm. Because their five are are darn near as good as our five. I mean, they're not might not be physically as gifted, but they're mm-hmm. pretty good. Mm-hmm. But our seven that we bring in off the bench is so much better than the seven that France would bring in or you know, we're bringing guys like Colin Sexton, mm-hmm. Ben Green, Jason Tatum off the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Justice Winslow came off the bench. So wow. those guys are in the in, they're great NBA players, and they mm-hmm. were they couldn't even start for us. Wow. So now that's where we make our and, and that's that's kind of the way it is all the way up through our our teams: U sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and our senior men's team. So having said that. Uh, I get a little, and we're trying to get this across to, to players that, that we go watch. And, uh, you know, we also have gold camps for middle school kids that we, that are are a little higher level gold camps. But at some point, you know, your physical ability will only take you so far. Mm -hmm. You're, you're not going to be able to physically, it's what it might be. In college, it might be in the NBA. It might be at 18 years old. Who knows? But at some point, your physical ability will only take you so far. Then, then you're going to have some skill mm-hmm. to take you to take you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a great example is you know Michael Jordan in his early days in the NBA. You know, you know he could dunk and he could do all the high flying stuff. But as he progressed in his NBA, same with Kobe, mm-hmm. and now same with LeBron. You know, now they're better jump shooters. They're they're doing they're better passers. Better footwork early early in their career. So mm-hmm. the skill has kind of taken over uh, from their physical ability. So, uh, and and I I know that uh, you know several NBA guys have, have told me that you know that the they think that the skill level for let's say Doncic. Is, is probably as good or better than, than most of ours. Mm-hmm. Well, that's only one player out of Slovenia, mm-hmm. you know. So don't don't tell me that every player is that good over there. They're not. Mm-hmm. I've seen it, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, so I, I think we still have the the best players. I think we still have the most skilled players. Yeah. I think the international game has helped us develop our players. Uh you know, more, a little more versatility with our players, a little more, <coughs> a little more spread offense, a little mm-hmm. more being able to play more than one position. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. helped our players out. Uh, we're not such a, we're not, we're not locked into, you know, you're just a five man, you're just a four man. And, and really what bugs me a lot is when you hear eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds, oh, no, I'm a point guard. No, you're not, you're a player. You got to mm-hmm. play in every position. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're trying to get across the fact that that you teach all skills to all players. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where it starts. So I don't care. And, and if you have a big 12-year-old, which everybody does, if you go right. watch a 12-year-old team, then there's always a player or two that's like head, shoulders above everybody else. Right. He's got to learn the same skills that that little point guard does mm-hmm. because he still might be that same size in high school. Yep. And so you're cheating him if you don't teach all the skills to him as well as his other players. So, and the, and the key to, no, no, no. I'm glad because it, you opened up the, the, something I've always wanted to say, the key to it is that it requires, and I know this firsthand because I di- I've done it for years. It requires the person in, in control, whether it be the coach or the director of the youth program to, in some time sacrifice winning that particular weekend. Absolutely, but to, but to Absolutely. win in the long run for the young person, and that it becomes a difficult thing to do with an American sensibility of my weekend is better if I won. You know what I mean? Oh, you have hit it on the head, and we say this all the time. You know, uh, if you're coaching, I say find out how good a coach you are. Coach some nine year olds. Mm-hmm. You'll find out how good a coach you are. And I go to these tournaments. Uh, young, I have a grandson that's ten years old, so I go watch him play, and he. They're playing against 10-year-olds that are playing zone defense or playing a 1-3-1 trap. They're doing all this crazy stuff, and they're, and they're only doing it because the coach has an ego. Mm-hmm. They, want, they, want, they want to put up a trophy in their 
man cave that they won a ninth grade tournament yeah. or a nine-year-old tournament, which is crazy. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're getting me started on this too. I think one of the things too, at that level, we, we stress three on three is the way mm-hmm. to go. Play three on three. It teaches the kids how to play the game, spacing and back cutting and, you know, setting screens and defensive help. Uh, three on three really opens up the game for kids. And I, I, I can't say that enough. Uh, we do that, you know, we, with our junior national team, we play three on three. Uh, extensively every practice what about the shot clock coach that's something that is a bit of a hot topic i know as a high school coach i'm uh, in illinois i'm clamoring for it i would love to have it i think the only reason why we don't have it is is financial in nature i think from a basketball standpoint uh, again i played in a usa basketball tournament and it was i'm ashamed to admit this but it's just a fact it's the first time as a coach i ever had to coach under a shot clock and i remember I remember calling, uh, I remember telling my team because we were up in a very big game and I remember telling them to stall. <laughs> like I, I said that and my, my parents were yelling at me like, coach, they can't. I was like, oh no. You know, but I, I got better as a coach that weekend because of the clock. Um, and, I, and I just think that, you know, anyone who has it, if someone lives in a state that has it or someone lives overseas and they have it, I think they have an advantage over us that don't. What do you think? You know, you you made a point when you said that you you coached the first time using a shot clock. You made a point by saying you got you you were a better coach because of it. No question. You know, I I think as coaches, uh, we try to control the play on the court way too much. Yeah. As coaches, you know, we think we can control every movement, everything that that the kid that players do on a court. Uh, I always say basketball is way overcoached and undertaught. So now let's, let's let those kids figure it out themselves. So a shot clock helps that, you know, uh, a shot clock helps them figure things out. You know, they got to make a play. And, and the second thing I would say, so before I end that, I'm a, I'm an adamant supporter of shot clock. Okay. Uh, we, we've played, you know, Playing international basketball, we we use a twenty four second shot clock, and I, I'd say thirty is about right. Sure, thirty five, but but I think there needs to be a shot clock, and I hear the I hear the expense thing a lot. Well, I never heard anything in football when they put the twenty five second play clock up between mm-hmm. plays. Nobody's saying about expense there that I that I I heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't you know somebody to run it. You know get, that, that's other countries have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. And they go down, you know, every every player from age seven or eight, if they're playing a five-on-five game, they're, they're using a 24-second shot clock. Yeah. So um, so I, I love the points you made. It made me a better coach when I started coaching international basketball because we used shot clock. What do we uh, have to do? What do we have to do? Uh, I mean, at, at your level, you know more people uh, in this game than I do. What needs to be done to get this done? Do you think it's going to come? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's going to come. I think it's just a matter of, more actually, uh, I think there's ten states now that have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Arkansas just put it in for uh, next year for their. Uh, they can do it during our league play, uh, so I think you know California has it, New York has it, New Jersey. So I think it's I think it's getting there. Um, I think it's just process, and we certainly recommend it. That's part of our recommendations for the standards for basketball. Um, we work closely with the National Federation of High Schools, which again is our under our umbrella. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make their own rules, uh, of course, and uh, you know we, every year we we push for that. We get the same response you do as cost and somebody to run it, and, and and the other thing I point out with the shot clock, and and some coaches made this point that the shot clock is it, it if is for the, if you're a if you're the better team. Shot clock's great. If you're mm-hmm. not the better team, the shot clock isn't quite so great. Mm-hmm. My point is, all right, let's say we're you and I are playing a game and there's five minutes to go in the game and you're up two points. So how many games have I seen where you're taking the air out of the ball and you're gonna stall and they're gonna make me Absolutely. foul? So for five minutes it's gonna be a trip to the free throw line, hoping you miss and we get the ball back. Now with a shot clock, 
with a shot clock. We don't have to foul. We can play good, solid defense, make you take a shot, and if you miss it, we get the rebound and we get a possession without having, a, without having th- three or four trips to the free throw line. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you you gave us an easy one with a down by two. If I went into a fourth quarter down by eight, I feel a lot better about winning that game with a shot clock than I would without. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I always say we need to, we need to get, uh, we need to get out of the dark ages. Yeah, I agree. Well, hopefully we'll get this uh, podcast out to somebody that can make some decisions and they'll do it. Look, you know, I'm, I'm an athletic director too, coach. And, and I, every year I get a new budget and my boss yeah. doesn't tell me what to do with the budget. He just right. stays with, stay within the budget. So yeah. if I buy less Gatorade, I'll put a shot clock in. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and uh, USA basketball has a really good re- relationship with, with some clock uh, people, fair play and, and, uh, uh, electronics. So we we would work on getting some good prices for 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 uh, states to put it in if, if it gets passed too. Well, I'm definitely going to sign it when it comes my way. Listen, <laughs> I appreciate your time today. I, I um, uh, you know, I know it's late, and I and I oh, it's fine. I just you know just love talking basketball. I I can't let you leave though without elaborating a little bit on something you just said that you kind of glossed over, but I know what you meant. But I I just you know want to play dumb. How can a game be over? coach and under taught it, yep. like someone says oh what are you talking about coaching teaching it's the same thing no i i think overcoached is is something i think i did as a young coach uh way too much what what, what i mean by that is we we try to control the player's action on the court to the extent that we allow them to play so we give them sets we might give them a set like let's just just say uh, a flex cut or side ball screen. So we give them this set and we and we dictate what kind of shot they get out of that set, mm-hmm. as opposed to teaching them. Here is a side ball screen. Now here are the options that you may have out of this set, and then we drill that. So that teaches the players how to play. So that, that's what I mean by undertaught. We're, we're, if we teach it that way, we give them all the options, and then they have to kind of figure it out on their own. Uh, whereas if we overcoach it, we overcoach the fact that this is the shot you're going to get off this side ball screen, shot at the elbow. And that's the only thing they're looking for. They're not looking for the pick and roll because, no, no, coach said I'm going to get this shot. Mm-hmm. You know, which isn't always, which is not always the case. So um, that's that's the that's the overcoached, undertaught aspect. That I think uh, really young coaches probably, and I I know I did as a young coach, really tried to dictate too much of the play and not let players I call figure it out. You yeah. figure it out. <laughs> You're yeah. playing. You you try and figure it out, and then yeah. give them situations. Three on three is great to do that. Uh, give us some optimism about the about COVID and us having to be home and when are we getting back? You know, what's, what's USA basketball thinking? Yeah. Um, you know, what can young people be doing now while they're at home to prepare themselves for the inevitability of sport coming back eventually? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, obviously who would have, who would have ever thought that we'd go through this? Uh, I mean, there's no, nobody could ever predicted that this is what we'd go through. I, I got off uh, March 12th, uh, we left Colorado Springs. We were coming back to Iowa. We had our office is in Colorado Springs, and that's where the training centers at and everything. So <clears throat> we have a house in Colorado, apartment in Colorado Springs that we that we're at for most of the time. But we kept our house in Iowa. So having said that, we closed our office down March twelfth, and when we got off the plane in Iowa, I had not known any of this. The NBA canceled. The NCAA canceled uh, all and the state tournaments, all within a two-hour plane flight coming back. So uh, it, it happened quickly. I, I think there's some real positive things come out of this. I think I think coaches are really trying to uh, expand what they're doing with their own knowledge. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a lot of Zoom. I've been on tons of Zoom clinics and really enjoyed them all. So you know, I think coaches are, are really trying to get better during this time. Uh, 
players, I think, are going to have – I mean, I think a lot of them are doing things on their own, but we're all itching to get back. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure there's going to be a full-blown games until there's a, there's a, uh, there's, there's a vaccine that comes forward, hopefully, this year. But, you know, I can't see it's going to be like it was last year until, you know, until people know they can go safely to games. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, but in most states, uh, Iowa's opening up a little bit. You can go work out in gyms, with, you know, Florida basket and those kind of mm-hmm. things. So you just hope that spike doesn't come. It's going to derail everything again uh, for us. And, uh, you know, I, I think positive people will certainly make something good out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, negative people are going to complain and not get any better. But yeah. I think positive people are going to get better because of it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, well, I, th- that's what we're all about. Jumping through hoops is getting better. Coach, we appreciate your time. What can we do for you? Is there any? Is there anything that we can support? Any websites you want us to go to? Anything you want in the show notes? Tell us what we can do to support yeah, that's, Coach that's great. You know, we, we really encourage <clears throat> coaches to get a USA basketball license. Uh, we, have, we, we have about 40,000 coaches that have a license. Um, it, it's, you know, there's not, there's, there's, probably a million or two coaches that don't have it, but uh, we're starting there. What you, if you go on usab.com, uh, click on youth, you'll see coaching license. We have about 150 uh, video speakers from our academies. Uh, we have, insur- there's liability insurance that goes with that. Uh, there's opportunities for events, uh, US Open uh, that you're familiar with. There's, there's gold camps that, for middle school kids uh, that are a little higher level uh, to, to attend. So a lot of things on there. And then if coaches want to get involved with USA basketball, uh, there's a place there. You know, we're always looking for volunteers to help us with our camps and academies and, and uh, those kind of things too. So I would encourage people to look at the usabasketball.com, look at the, under the coach license and uh, be part of our community. We think that's really important. Yeah, I am gold certified and I can attest to the fact that, you know, it's it's not one of those trainings that that you're like, oh, okay, I want to skip through and just get to the I mean, it's it's an enjoyable training. I mean, it talks basketball, it talks life, it talks about the importance of of our role as, as leaders in young people's lives. And I, I think it's great. So, um, yeah, yeah, I encourage everyone. We'll make sure that gets in the show notes and we'll put yeah. that out. Awesome. And, you know, it has our curriculum on there. So if you look, if you're coaching an eight year old team, it, it gives you, there's four levels. Uh, introductory level would be for our youngest kids. And so it gives you ideas on what to do at that level as well, all the way up to the up to performance level. So it gives you our, it gives you a good curriculum to, to, to look at. Great. Well, again, appreciate your time, Coach. Uh, you're welcome back anytime, man. If you ever just got something about this game you want to talk about, we'd love to have you back. I appreciate the conversation tonight. Hey, it's great talking to you. And, I appreciate all you're doing for the game of basketball because I, I know you're you're you love the game and uh, uh, you know you've been coaching a while so appreciate all you've been doing for to help the game grow. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Jumping Through Hoops podcast. We hope you heard something that will help you get better on your path to basketball and life success. You can help us get better by hitting the subscribe button and following us on social media. If you would like to be a guest on the show. Or if you have any questions we can answer for you, email us at jthoopspod at gmail.com. Until next time, always get better.